Beaver Nation, it's time to get inside the huddle with the Damn Podcast. The Damn Podcast is your weekly ticket to Oregon State football and recruiting news. Here's your host of the Damn Podcast, BeaverBlitz.com publisher, Angie Machado. Happy New Year and welcome back to another episode of the Damn Podcast. I am your host, Angie Machado. With me is beaverblitz.com senior writer and editor, Carter Baines. Carter, happy new year to you. Happy new year. Yeah, it's, um, we just wrapped up the football season and, you know, we're into basketball now and it, it feels like, feels like winter now, you know, we're into our regularly scheduled programming for this time of year. So getting ready to, to kick off the new year with some hoops tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's just, you know, let's start with hoops then. I mean, this is going to be down down the, the road a little bit, but, um, you know, Beavs take care of business a couple of days ago against Utah. What did you see different from that team, which they only had nine guys suited up against the Utes, but what did you see different from that game as to post what you saw earlier in the, in the season from them? Well, yeah, you mentioned it. You know, they're, they're down a bunch of guys right now. Um, three players are out due to COVID protocols. Generally Hunt is still out uh, due to personal reasons. And then obviously Rodriguez and Della has been out um, with that injury. So they were down to, I believe it was nine guys against Utah on Thursday. But the big thing from this team right now is they're playing with a ton of confidence on offense and they're scoring a lot of points. So against Nichols State, they set a season high for points scored and then they beat that in the very next game against Utah. So that's back-to-back games where they've been above 80 points, uh, set two new season highs in, in scoring. And right now that's the difference between, you know, these last two games where they're on a two game winning streak now for the first time this season uh, compared to the 10 game losing streak is they're actually scoring. Uh, and I think if that, you know, if that, if that continues throughout Pac-12 play, they're going to start to win a lot more games. Yeah. Yeah. And to be completely honest, I have, I did watch the Utah game, but I haven't watched a ton of them yet just with football going on, but um, talk about some of these new guys, new additions. What, what are your thoughts on them? Um, and, and now that the, they are seemingly starting to play a little bit more together. Well, I think Deshaun Davis is the real deal. You know, I, we, we look at him out there and he looks like, you know, he looks the part of a number one junior college, uh, product, you know, that he, that he came to Oregon state as, uh, and you know, he, he kind of fills up the stat sheet in, in multiple categories. You see him making an impact, uh, on, on the boards, but also as a, as a scorer. And that's, uh, th- that's big for this team to, to have a guy who can kind of do it all, because I think they miss that with Ethan Thompson, not around. Um, and so for Davis to kind of, you know, pick things up as the, as the season has progressed, I think has been big for the team. Uh, I, outside of that, Dexter Ocano, I think has really stepped up in the last few games. He's joined the starting lineup um, and he's starting to look like what we expected out of him as a power five transfer or power six transfer, I guess, from, from Marquette. Those two guys, I think, are the biggest additions uh, to this point. And then once Ahmad Rand gets back from the COVID protocols, I think you'll start to see more of him as well. Um, now that Rodriguez Gandela is out, I think they're going to lean on Rand off the bench a lot in the front court. Yeah, yeah. And um, Alatiche seems to have struggled a little bit at the free throw line. What, what are you seeing from him? Well, free throws have always been kind of an adventure for uh, for Alatiche, but outside of that, he's he's kind of starting to turn into the Alatiche we expected to see this year. Um, you know, the the stat sheet stuffer who's going to score, who's going to rebound. Uh, he picked up a career high five steals against Utah too, and a couple of those turned directly into points. He had one in particular that that stands out where he stripped the ball in the backcourt and then took it in and and dunked it. Um, that is kind of the impact that you expect from him. And I think if he continues to play that way, you know, Oregon State's going to have that go-to guy on both ends of the floor. And that's, that's what you need when you're playing in Pac-12 play. Yeah. So looking ahead, I know the, the schedule has been a little um, squirrely with, with COVID games and, and games being postponed, but I, I just pulled up the schedule. So the, the Beavs do host Sacramento State uh, tomorrow, Monday, January 3rd. It's a three o'clock tip-off in Corvallis, no TV for that game. Um, and then they host the Ducks on Saturday the 8th. So uh, that's a 7.30, 7.30 tip-off on Pac-12net. Uh, and then we'll, we'll see if this happens, but they are scheduled to hit the road for USC for Thursday, January 13th, and then UCLA 
at UCLA January 15th. So um, we'll see if, if that happens. There's been a ton of cancellations, postponements. So um, we'll kind of keep an eye on that and, and stick in the lodge with Beaver Blitz for that. But that's a uh, that's a tough road swing if it actually it does come to fruition. You know, you're playing two top 10 teams on the road uh, in, in some pretty tough venues too, Galen Center and Poly Pavilion. Uh, we know how difficult it is to win in LA and especially when those teams are playing as well as they are. So, you know, who knows if, if those games are actually going to be played, we'll see. But um, if, assuming everything goes according to plan, big opportunity for Oregon State to prove that, you know, they are turning things around, go down to LA and put together a couple of big performances. I think that would go a long way for this team. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's, we kind of got off, off our, uh, our schedule here, our plan, but um, I do want to transition back to football. So we're going to transition a little bit there. Um, I did want to highlight, I, I had a tweet earlier, um, but end of the year, I, I was blown away by not only what you did, Carter, as far as content and the, and the Beaver Blitz team as a whole, we blew past every record we've ever set with content as well as members. So huge thank you to Beaver Nation. Beaver Nation is hungry uh, for Beaver Insider News, and uh, you did a really good job, you and Raju and JP and uh, Peter, Eric, uh, the whole crew. Um, Kyle White is a new addition we've had. So um, a, a great team effort by all. And uh, I'm excited for what 2022 holds for us. But uh, let's rewind here and let's talk a little bit 2021 football. I, I kind of want this to be just our general wrap up. And then we're going to jump ahead and kind of just our way too early thoughts on uh, on what where this is going. So Car- Carter, let's just start with the positive. Give me what you thought went right with that 2021 season. A lot of things went right. And that was, you know, part of the reason it was such a fun year um, at, at Beaver Blitz was that, you know, we had a, a winning football team to cover. And I, I think the excitement that we saw from the fan base um, was, was very much so warranted by, you know, what they were doing on the field to win seven games, go to a bowl game for the first time in eight years and to do it in the fashion they did where they beat Utah, who ended up in the Rose Bowl. Um, where they snapped a losing streak at USC, where they beat Washington for the first time in a decade. You know, these are these are landmark wins for Jonathan Smith. Um, and a lot of that stems from, I think, what was one of the best offensive campaigns in school history to, to go and average. I believe it ended up being right around 31 points per game, somewhere around there. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, to, to do it behind an offensive line, that was a finalist for the Joe Moore Award. Uh, to have guys at the skill positions like Trevon Bradford, B.J. Baylor, who ended their careers on a high note. Uh, really impressive what Oregon State was able to do on, on that side of the ball in particular. But I think also the improvement that they showed on defense, too. You know, obviously there are still some shortcomings there and they room for improvement on the front seven. But what you saw from the secondary, the way they were able to force turnovers like they hadn't in a long time, uh, the play of Avery Roberts to lead the Pac-12 in tackles. There are just so many positives on both sides of the ball. And then throw in special teams, too, with, with Everett Hayes, that 60-yarder against Colorado to send it to overtime. Uh, he had a really solid year. And then Luke Losher, uh, you know, I, I think was kind of one of the unsung heroes of this team to, to be able to do what he did. And, and um, you know, he didn't qualify for a lot of awards or records. But, you know, if he had punted more this year, I think you would have seen him on a lot of those lists. Um, so it really just a, a really well-rounded season by Oregon State. And I think a, a really good jumping off point as, as Jonathan Smith enters year five in, in 2022. What are some areas maybe that didn't go or that I don't want to say went wrong, but that didn't go as you expected to see them go? Well, defensively, I, I think, you know, I mentioned that being a positive, but there it's it's undeniable that the defense held Oregon State back in a few games. I think if if the defense plays up to its potential, you see this team win at Cal, at California, win at Colorado, and, you know, you're looking at a potential nine or 10 win season. Um, the, the defense did hold them back. And a lot of it was because of the play of the front seven, you know, struggles in the trenches and, and not enough pressure on the quarterback. Um, but obviously, you know, you, you see the, the change at defensive coordinator midway through the season. I think a lot of it was schematic too. So um, look for, look for improvement there because of the change at, at defensive coordinator next year. But uh, definitely a lot of work to be done on that side of the ball. I, I would say that was the biggest, you know, the biggest point of concern. But then outside of that, I'd say maybe the receiving game 
Yeah. Um, you know, besides Trevon Bradford, it was kind of a disappointing year from the receiving core, which was a group that we went into the season saying, you know, this could be one of the best receiving cores Oregon State's ever had. So I think those are kind of the the two disappointments that that stand out to me. But ultimately, you know, as I said, Oregon State won seven games, went to a bowl game. They they lived up to the expectations we had for them. Um, but there were a, a, a few things holding them back from a really special year. Okay, so let's talk about that because yeah, beginning of the year, um, I think you would have in the and I know in the lodge that the talk was a bowl game, a bowl game or bust. That was everybody just wanted this team to get to a bowl game. But then it seemed that as the team won some games and saw some saw some success, they weren't happy with seven wins. Um, what what is your thought on that? Change on on the whole idea that fans and media potentially had changing um, expectations as the season went on. Well, I think it's healthy. Um, you know, any anytime you start the season the way that Oregon State did, I, I think it's natural and I think it's good to want more and and to demand more. Uh, because when you look at it, like I said, those, those losses at, at California and Colorado really held them back from what could have been one of the best seasons in Oregon state football history. When, when you, you when it comes right down to it. Yeah. Um, so I, I think, you know, when you, when you look at the losses they had uh, against opponents that they should be and the way that they lost those games, I, I think it's very, um, I do think it's warranted to, to be disappointed about that and to demand better. And, and ultimately, you know, it, it did lead Jonathan Smith to make a personnel change on, on the coaching staff. Um, but I, I think, you know, the way they started the year, um, those the, moving the goalposts as far as expectations are concerned was, was good. You know, that's, that's what you should do. But at the end of the day, um, you, you can have it both ways where you can be very happy with what the team accomplished, but also say, Hey, we left a little bit on the table. Yeah. I, I, I got into some Twitter. I, I caused some Twitter controversy the other day, um, watching the college football playoff. I know you've been watching some football, um, the past couple of days, but watching those two playoff games, I was struck with how far behind the PAC 12 is to even being relevant in that kind of conversation and you can say what you will about Oregon being close Oregon would have been destroyed by in, any of those teams um you can say it's because of the previous Pac-12 administration I, I and then you know I, again I saw it watching the Rose Bowl though watching the Rose Bowl and in, in Utah I mean I was cheering for Utah what a year they had um but you saw it in just the the depth of talent you know when you when you have utah going against ohio state the depth of talent in the pac-12 is not there you know i mean that number 11 for ohio state completely worked utah all night long they had no answer for him um and they just had the depth what does the pac-12 and this is i'm i'm gonna you know what do you want to see from the pac-12 as a whole i mean do you think usc with the new coaching staff you think they're going to be close to getting the pac-12 at least relevant again and and, and relevant I don't even know if it's in the Pac-12 or in the CFB. The Pac-12 did not win a bowl game. What is it going to take for the Pac-12 to be relevant just in college football? Well, not only did the Pac-12 not win a bowl game this year, the conference has not won a bowl game since 2019. <laughs> so, so sad. I mean, it's 2022 now, and, and here we are talking, you know, three years ago, um, I, I, it was two seasons ago, but, but three calendar years ago that, that the Pac-12 won a bowl game. That's, that's unacceptable. You know, that, that's just, it's flat out. It's not, I, I, I feel like there's so much that we could unpack here. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. Like we could have, we could have a full episode just on this, but I mean, well, I think did, to, did you watch game day yesterday and, and the, the discussion with Desmond Howard and Kirk Herbstreit about, you know, just these players these days don't, care about football it's all about championship or nothing i, I thought that is... that was i thought that was out of touch and you know quite frankly it's i think again we could have a whole episode on this but <laughs> but to to go based off of what kirk said in particular you know espn all they talk about on espn is the college football playoff you know yeah. the top yeah. four teams who's in who's out um and that goes weeks and weeks and weeks before yeah yeah, this is, you know, a 15 week thing. Uh, and ESPN also owns the rights to what, like 40 bowl games. Yeah. So it's in ESPN's best interest for players to play in those games, not opt out. It's in their best interest for 
um, there to be so much emphasis on the CFP and then for their employees to go and complain when players opt out uh, due to, you know, to prevent injuries uh, when they're playing in quote unquote meaningless bowl games. That's all ESPN's fault. You know, yeah. that's, yeah. that's their entire business monster. model. Yeah. Their, yeah. their entire business model is to act like these other bowl games don't matter. And so I, I just, I think it's hypocritical of them to, you know, to make those comments, but to answer your original question about yes, the Pac-12, yes. I, I think Lincoln Riley coming into USC, I think that's huge for the conference because let's admit it, the Pac-12 is at its best when USC is a contender. You know, when when people on the East Coast think of the Pac-12, they're thinking USC. They're not thinking of Washington, Utah, you know, Oregon, th- these yeah. teams that have been at the top of the Pac-12 in the last few years. Um you need a healthy program at USC for the Pac-12 to be a contender. And I think bringing Lincoln Riley in is a good first step in doing that. And I don't know if they're going to compete right away uh, with him there, but you've already seen the recruiting uptick. You know that he's a better X's and O's coach than Clay Helton ever was. And so I think, you know, within the next couple of years, you could see USC kind of chip away at, at the gap and maybe reach that upper echelon upper echelon of college football and, and be a perennial top five team. Uh, I think, you know, when, when USC has the right coach, they're going to be one of the top five programs in the country, uh, regardless of, you know, the, the support from the rest of the PAC 12, the support from the administration at that, at that school, if they have the right coach, they're going to be successful no matter what. So I think it starts with USC um, kind of returning to prominence. And that that does force the rest of the conference to maybe keep up. Um, Okay, so let's go back to the Beavers season wrap up. Sorry for that little that little tangent, but I, I did think it was relevant just because I, I see Oregon State fans even were like, why do we care? Why, you know, it, there's just not the passion that you see from the SEC and, and some of that, but the passionate fans are there for Oregon State. So um, let's talk about season MVPs. You've, you've named a few guys, but if you were just going to give out, give me, give me three offensive MVPs and three defensive MVPs. That's a lot of MVPs. Uh, so I guess offensively, I'll give it to one group. Okay. You're right. That is too many. Give me, give me one on each side and a special teams. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll still take the easy way out offensively and give it to a full group and, and give it to the offensive line who I mentioned was a finalist for the Joe Moore award. If not for Michigan, I think they probably would have won that. Um, and really there are only, I'd say probably two games this year where they didn't look like the best offensive line in the Pac-12, that being the season opener against Purdue and then the regular season finale against Oregon. Those two games were, you know, flat out their worst performances of the year. But outside of that, they were one of the best teams in the country in preventing tackles for loss, uh, protecting the quarterback and, and opening up lanes for B.J. Baylor, who had an incredible season to finish his career. Um probably the best offensive line performance I've seen from Oregon state ever in, you know, in my time watching them, I, I don't know if it's the best group talent wise. Um, but I think what coach Mahalachuk has done um, schematically and, you know, developing these guys and, and keeping them healthy too uh, was, was really admirable. And I, I think that group, you know, even for the performance of BJ Baylor or Trevon Bradford, I think that group is, is far and away the MVP um, offensively. How about defensively? Who, who would you give the, uh, the defensive MVP to? I think the obvious choice is Avery Roberts, you know, finishing over a hundred tackles, um, leading the pack 12 in that category and, and really going out on a strong note. Um, I, I think he's the obvious choice. You know, he led Oregon state in, in multiple categories and, um, and, and really just kind of lived up to the expectations we had for him going into the year. But I, I do think there's something to be said for a couple of other players on that group. Jaden Grant had an incredible year. He really took a step forward. Um, you know, he was right up there in the tackle leaderboard too. He had a, a, a few interceptions. He was getting into the backfield. Um, so I, I think he really took a, a major step forward this year. And then Keontae Shad on the defensive line, I think as the season went on, um, turned into one of Oregon State's most important players. You know, he was, he was the guy in, in that group. And, you know, he was averaging, I, I want to say five to seven tackles per game in the, you know, the back, the back half of the season. Um, and so to get that performance from him in the trenches was big too. But um, those three guys, I, I think were, you know, a, an integral part of Oregon state's defensive performance in the last few games, but Roberts of course has to be, um, you know, the, the number one guy there. Okay. 
instead of doing a special teams MVP, do you have anyone else that just, I mean, kind of the work, work, I mean, workhorse category MVP and maybe a special team? Well, BJ Baylor, for sure. Mm -hmm. You know, we've mentioned him a couple of times and um, if not for the play of the offensive line, he would be the, the, the MVP on that side of the ball to rack up over a thousand yards and, and to do it, you know, after being a backup for so long, I think this is a guy that if not for Jamar Jefferson or Artavis Pierce being in that room, the last couple of years, he probably would go down as a top five or top six guy uh, to ever do it at Oregon state. I, I think he was that good throughout his career. And he was just, um, you know, he's just kind of forced into a backup role because of the talent that Oregon state had at that position, but he waited his turn. You know, he didn't, he didn't transfer. He stuck it out. He worked hard and he really, um, he really saw it pay off this year. And so I'm really happy for him because you can, you can, you know, testify to this too. We saw him in spring camp of 2019 and said, this guy is, you know, like he's, he's yeah. for real, this guy yeah. can play. Um, and so I, I think it was really cool to see him kind of stick it out, which you don't really see much more of in, in college football these days. I would just throw out a couple too. I, I think my, I think my special teams, I'm, I'm not going to go with like a easy pick, like a Luke Lecker or a, a Everett Hayes. I'm going to go with Easton Mascarenas because I think in coverage on special teams, he was huge. Um, I also think offensively, I mean, I, I can't argue with your picks, but I think as a little head nod to um, the hammer because he kept so many drives alive. And I know he's not an offensive player, but um, talk about just kind of the do Jack of all, Jack of all trades. And I think it was cool that the Pac-12 recognized him. I, I think it was, I, I want to say it was the Pac-12 coaches. It might've been Associated mm -hmm. Press that, that gave him um, the all purpose, you know, second yeah. team yeah. award. I, I thought that was cool to, for them to find a way to include him on that list because he totally was deserving. He was yeah. one of Oregon state's leading scorers. He was one of their leading rushers. He had a receiving touchdown. And then we know that he was involved um, defensively and on special teams. So uh, a really special season from a type of player that I don't think we've ever seen before yeah. at, at Oregon state and kind of a, a unicorn in college football nowadays to do what he has done in, in all three phases. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So many guys are specialized in one position now. Um, and like I said, a lot of what he did was it, it's never going to show up on a stat sheet. So it, it is, it's getting that first down or keeping a drive alive. So pretty, pretty cool with that. Um, okay. Let's, let's move over to the coaching staff now, 2021. Um, we've already kind of talked about the mid season um, departure of Tim Tibisar, but where do you find the strengths of this coaching staff? from the 2021 season? Well, I, I think Brian Lindgren, especially in probably the first, oh, I don't know, eight games or so, um, really proved to be, in my opinion, one of the best offensive coordinators in this conference. And I know that people, um, you know, were nitpicking a little bit in, in some games where, you know, maybe his play calling uh, was a little questionable. But I, I think, you know, you, you look at the full body of work and I'd say that there were very few instances where I questioned the play calling offensively. And I think it, it won them a lot of games and it didn't really lose them any. So um, I, a lot of Oregon state success, you know, we've talked about the offensive line, BJ Baylor, but I, I think a lot of it is the schematics. And um, we, we've heard from so many people that, you know, it's a, a really intricate scheme takes a while to learn. Um, and you saw it kind of, you know, executed to perfection at, at times this year where Oregon State looked unstoppable. Um, and, you know, I, I mentioned them scoring over 30 points per game and having one of the best seasons ever in school history. And a lot of that, I, I think, is the credit to the credit of Brian Lindgren. Um, how about coaching weaknesses? Well, it, it's it's different now than it was the middle of the season. I, I think Coach Smith, you know, made the right decision to move on at defensive coordinator. And I think what you'll see from Trent Bray moving forward is a defense that looks a lot different than the one that you saw for the first, what, whatever it was, eight games of this season and um, the last three and a half years too. You'll see a lot more blitzing, um, different looks up front from the front seven. And I, I think it's, it's really necessary because as I said before, the defense really held Oregon state back in, in a lot of games this year. So um, coaching weakness, I would say is, I mean, I don't know what it is right now, but I know what it was through the Colorado game. 
do you think, okay, this, this so we're going to transition out into our way too early thoughts for 2022. Um, these are just more of us thinking out loud, talking. Um, well, let's, do you think, what group do you think needs to take the biggest step forward this off season? I, I think there are two groups. Uh, I, I would say. I think you're going to say the same thing as me. I have a feeling. I'm just, well, let's, let's hear what were you going to go with? I'm saying D line. Yep. And wide receivers. Yep. That's what I was going to say. I, I think, you know, defensively we've, we've seen it the last few years that Oregon state just doesn't get much push up front and uh, the lack of pass rush. I, I think, well, that is also attributable to the outside linebacker play. Um, I don't think anybody would argue that the, the D line is better than the outside linebackers. You know, if, if you're picking one element of that pass rush, it has to be the D line. Um, and for all the improvement that they made in, in run defense this year, there's still so much work to be done. Yeah. Um, you saw that in, in the bowl game too, with, you know, letting Calvin Tyler kind of run wild on them at times. Um, and then not getting any pressure on a third string quarterback, you know, he, he torched them on his first throw, went for 62 yards. So, um, that is that's the biggest need i think in my opinion it's been the biggest need for years and it, it continues to be um and then wide receivers I, do you want to you want to touch on that one because i think we'll probably say the same thing well i, I think we're gonna, i mean i i see so much potential from this wide receiver crew i mean there's they they've gotten more talent i i still like to see some bigger bigger targets because i still think oregon state's a little small i i don't see the true breakaway speed though um and so I'd like to see a little more speed from that group. I, I really think like a guy like Champ Flemings or, um, you know, some of these guys that have been billed as speed guys, they're not. I, I look at what Britton Covey does and he, he has, he's got speed to burn. Um, and he's not even, you know, in, in the same realm as some, some of these other guys we've watched over the past week. Um, but I really do think, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know why this group seemed to underachieve. Um, I don't know if that's a quarterback you know, issue. I don't know if it's play calling. Um, I like what I've saw late in the year from Zariah Beeson. Um, and I like what we saw throughout the season in his limited play from Anthony Gould. But um, yeah, I, I think we need some size and we need some speed from, from that group. I'll, I'll throw another question your way. Do you, do you think, do you think this group might be, and you know, I, I just say too deep. Um, it's hard to say that it's too deep when you don't have you know, the level of production you expect, but do you think there are too many guys that they look to get targets? You know, you, you mentioned Anthony Gould. He went a long stretch of the season without even seeing the field. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like, you know, in, in my opinion, there are so many guys who are capable of, of performing in this group that um, it's, it's hard for them to get much of a rhythm when you're rotating on every play, okay. because you have so many guys that you want to get involved. Do, do you think there's an element of that going Kinda on? Kind of like the, the theory of, analysis paralysis like too many guys so you just kind of yeah I mean potentially I I do think guys didn't weren't able to get rhythm I, I think by the end of the year we were seeing you know a Treshawn Harrison I, I really have big expectations for him um, but Tyjon Lindsay would have bouts of really great plays and then bouts where he kind of just went MIA um, no to be fair he was battling inj yes, injury he, for he had injury, you know, the, the so, second half of the season but but you're right I mean the there were a lot of guys um like I said, I, we didn't see as much Anthony Gould. Um, you know, there's some, I don't know. You're I, maybe there are there, maybe there's just too many guys that they're trying to get touches. Um, but it didn't work. Whatever they did this year, I think it could be so much better. And I don't know and, if that means changing a coach. I don't know if that means, um, changing up the scheme somewhat. Um, I, I just see, I really thought that the strength of the offense was not going to be the run game. You know, you and I talked about it this fall. I thought it was going to be tight end play and wide receiver play. And what we, we didn't see that. I mean, it was like complete opposite of that. Tight ends kind of came along um, toward the end of the year, some, but even that, I, I didn't think the tight end play was what I expect. Luke Musgrave did come along at the end of the year, like what we saw from him during fall camp. But um, yeah, I, I was really kind of befuddled with the, with the play of the wide receivers. And, and then to be fair, there were times that chance Nolan just didn't throw a good ball, you know, um, and that needs to improve as well. So I, I think it's kind of a multifaceted problem, but I don't know. What, what is your thought? 
Well, it'll be interesting to see what this group does without Trevon Bradford, because I think they really leaned on him at times this year and, and even last year, too. Um, uh, you know, I, I think we both expected Treshawn Harrison to kind of step into more of a workhorse role at, at wide receiver, and he would be my pick for the guy to kind of, you know, step up in, in Bradford's absence next year, especially with what he did down the stretch this year. Um, I really expected to see more of him in the first half of the year. Um, but I, I think it was good to see him kind of come on late, yeah. like you mentioned with Musgrave as well. Uh, these are guys that are going to be huge points of, of emphasis in the Oregon State offense next year because, you know, Musgrave will be the guy at tight end with Tegan Quatoriano moving on. I think Harrison will probably be the guy at wide receiver with with Bradford moving on. And so um, to kind of get them going as the season wrapped up, I, I think was huge, you know, to, to kind of get them some confidence, get them some more reps. Um, I, I think that transition will go fairly smoothly at, smoothly at tight end, uh, but I, I do have my worries at, at wide receiver just because they really didn't live up to the expectations we had for them. So, okay, so let's let's talk about what what changes then. Let's talk coaching changes. So, Oregon State is already on the search for a, a linebacker. You know, I don't know how Jonathan Smith's going to structure. You know, I mean, Trent Bray technically could be a linebacker coach. I don't know if you bring in another coach for the secondary. I don't know if you bring in another linebacker. I don't know how he has planned. I know some coaches he's spoken to, um, but I don't know how he wants to structure this thing. Are there any other coaching changes that you could see? Because I've heard rumblings that we could see another couple coaches out the door. This is the, you know, a new contract year. Contracts are up. Um, we, I don't like to, I never like to say that guys should be fired, but do you see, I mean, I, I, I see coach Smith as being super competitive and I also see him maybe being able to recognize that maybe he needs to make a few more changes to the staff, tweak it a little bit. Do you think he makes any more changes to the coaching staff this off season? Well, this is the year to do it. If he's going to, just because like you mentioned, so many contracts are up. So let, let's start with the coaches that will still be under contract unless uh, a change is made. So Trent Bray, for sure, because he yeah. just you know got a new contract. Um, Blue Adams was mm-hmm. one year late in, in getting to the staff, so to speak. So he still, I believe, has one more year. One year. Um, outside of that, I believe everyone AJ else Stewart. is up. AJ Stewart oh, yep, would be yep, good point. Have, have a year. So those, those three guys are the only ones that, you know, and, unless they're fired mid-contract, which obviously Bray will not be. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't think there's any reason to think that Stewart will leave. Um, so, so outside of those guys, you know, you could make a change without having to fire someone. Um, Coach Mahalachuk will 100% be back unless he gets poached by someone. I, yeah. I think same thing with Brian Lindgren. And those two guys for sure will be back. So those guys, I mean, those, in your opinion, are those must-keeps for Jonathan Smith? I would say so, yeah, especially Mahalachuk. You yeah. know, that's, that's the one guy... Um, you know, he could be a head coach somewhere right now. If he wanted to be, he could be an offensive coordinator probably. Um, but I, I think for Oregon state to keep him for recruiting purposes, for talent development purposes, um, and, and just for, you know, the in-game coaching that he does with the offensive line, um, that is a guy who needs to be untouchable in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian Lindgren, very, very close to being in, in that category. Um, outside of that, you know, I, I think, it, it wouldn't be, I wouldn't be shocked to see a couple of changes. I, I think defensive line coach is, is one that they could look at um, wide receivers coach for, you know, exactly the reasons we were just talking about with the wide receiver struggles. Those are the two that I think are the most likely. Yeah. Um, outside of that, I, I think the staff will pretty largely remain intact. And, and I know coach Smith likes to have that continuity, but I, you know, there's something in my gut that just says the D line. I mean, and, and okay. I would say this too. Would you, would you agree that if you're Coach Smith, if you have the chance to bring in a known great recruiter slash great coach at D-line or wide receiver, do you, you make the, it makes it easier to make the move than opposed to not renewing a contract and then just crossing your fingers and hoping. Yeah, and at, at the D-line coach position, I, I think they need to bring in a good recruiter, yeah. you know, because, and, and this is nothing against Coach Leggy because, you know, he has done a good job in, in you know, recruiting a couple of the the transfers that came in I, I believe he was was he on Chatfield Andrew yes, Chatfield yeah yeah so, that was also blue I believe okay but I, I mean point stands you know he has really improved the 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 level of talent that he's brought in but I still think that 
you know, for being honest, he's probably the weak link in recruiting and his, you know, his position group just hasn't performed. Um, so that's a position where I think you need to bring in a solid recruiter because of the need um, at, at that position. You know, if, if there was a group that you need to recruit to, it's the D-line. And if the D-line coach has been, so to speak, one of your weakest recruiters, um, that's something that you need to look at this year for sure. Okay, this, this, I got a text from a, a Blitz member and it got me thinking too, because I've thought the same thing. What has happened to our Hawaii recruiting? They're all going south to Eugene, unfortunately. I mean, crazy. I mean, Oregon State used to have a pipeline to the islands, and I don't even I, – I mean, I cover recruiting, and I can't seem to recall Oregon State even heading over to Hawaii to recruit. I mean, a Mark lot of those Fancher, guys, you know, they're, Malo, all those guys used to be over there. They're staying on the West Coast, but they're going to Oregon, Washington, USC. You know, none of those guys are coming to Oregon State anymore. And I think, um, well, Oregon State, it, you know, it's, it's rare that it, it wins recruiting battles against those schools. Um, you know, maybe they're they're picking their battles and saying, you know, we can't out recruit these guys. So we're just going to focus on um, guys on the mainland. But I think yeah, hundred percent. You should get back into it if you can. And, and maybe that's something that you look at when uh, you're evaluating coaches, you know, bring somebody in who has ties to the islands or, or to, you know, American Samoa or, or some of these other guys come in. But that's honestly, that's, that was kind of the, the big benefit with Leggy and coach Henson was the fact that they came from Hawaii and could recruit the islands. And I haven't seen either one of them going over to Hawaii. So it's interesting. I mean, back, like I said, under coach Riley, you had Kavanaugh banker, um, coach Joe, they were always in Hawaii and then Kavanaugh would, and coach Joe would head to Samoa from, you know, at least once a year. Crazy. I, I just, I think Oregon State is missing the boat. And I think they're letting something that a lot of work and effort went into. They're letting it slide because there's a lot of good players in Hawaii and, uh, a lot of Hawaiian kids come to school at Oregon State. So it's a, it's a pretty easy thing anyway okay let's let's transition to quarterback talk because chance had a a pretty good year but do you feel going into 2022 that he's the guy the heir apparent well the the quarterback situation now is a little different than uh the, the last time we talked we obviously you know last time we were recording the podcast sam vidlack entered the transfer portal while we were recording yeah i mean i think that i think that, that shakes up the quarterback position battle a little bit more than you know, than, than we kind of talked about in the moment, because you and I both watched Sam Vidlak in, in fall camp and said, yeah, this guy can compete pretty quickly for the starting job. And so I think, you know, even for all the success that Chance Nolan had this year, I, I think there would have been uh, to an extent an, an open competition at that position, just because there was so much depth and so much young talent. Um, I, I think the coaches would have been remiss if, if they just gave it to, to Nolan. So with him out of the picture, you know, Ben Goldbranson is one to watch. Uh, Tristan Jebbia, if he comes back, he'll obviously be in the mix if he's healthy because he does have starting experience. But, um, you know, we can't discredit the success that Chance Nolan had, even though he was inconsistent. Um, there's a reason that, you know, he was an all-conference guy for, for pro football focus. You know, like he might not have been the most consistent, but when he was on it, his game he was really good and you know even for the first half of the season we had him as a dark horse Heisman guy you know when Oregon State started the season on so so hot and you know he was completing 75 percent of his passes and um the, the turnovers weren't an issue I, I think we've seen the ceiling from him we've also seen the floor which is pretty low but the ceiling is so high for him that I think um even with all of the talent Oregon State has at that position he'll probably be um, he'll probably be the guy going into spring and then, you know, we'll see if, if anybody competes as, as the off season goes on. Yeah. It'll, it'll be interesting to see if Jebbia gets in the mix. Um, because I think he does add a, a different element. Like you said, chance has, and we've talked about this in the pod before, he's probably got the highest ceiling of anybody on the roster and the lowest basement of anyone on the roster. So I, I am anxious to see Gold Branson back in the, in play with, you know, when he's able to go hundred percent, because as far as arm strength, he's got got them all beat well um, also see travis throckmorton this offseason yeah, when he yeah. comes in um I, I don't think you know 
obviously with the way that they handled the Vidlac situation this year, I don't think you'll see Throckmorton compete for the job, but it'll be good to have a little bit more depth. And I think that'll push some of the younger guys as well, uh, like Goldbranson. Um, you know, I think having a guy behind him now will, will kind of elevate his performance and um, it'll be good to see him healthy this spring. I'm, I'm really curious to see what he brings to the table in camp. Um, like I said, I don't know if he's going to compete with Nolan because I do think that Nolan will be the guy entering spring camp uh, just based off the fact that he started every game this year, but um, it, it'll be something that we'll, we'll definitely have to watch closely. And, you know, maybe we end up with another quarterback competition that goes down to the first week of the season. Wouldn't that be, um, that would Don't be count uh, it out because <laughs> we've seen that every year for that. I know, what every year 10 years now it would be fun for Oregon State just to have a guy right I, I in fact I watching one of the games yesterday and one of the I don't even remember which game it was but he just threw such perfect I guess it was it was CJ Stroud he just he his ball placement was so perfect in all his passes they were just he was just dropping dimes right hitting the receiver in stride and I kind of reminisced about Oregon State having a guy in, in Matt Moore that could do that well, to be yeah. fair, I mean, that's one of the top recruits in the country, too, in CJ Stroud. It is. But, um, yeah, I mean, he, he, was, he was the quarterback for Silas Bolden at Rancho Cucamonga. Oregon State had offered him, but it's hard to compete with, you know, Ohio State, I guess. So, obviously, recruiting, you know, Oregon State's pretty full right now. We haven't had a ton of guys uh, leave or declare for the draft yet. Um, January could be interesting. But you know, pretty much it was down to, you know, it was, it was full for the most part, except for some transfer portal guys. And, and we talked about this last, last pod about really looking for an edge rusher from the portal, um, a D lineman. How, how important do you think it is it now for the beefs to go out and find a quarterback from the portal? A quarterback, you know, I, I think if, if the right guy is there, you bring him in, but with the depth that the Beavers have and with the young talent that they have coming in, I don't think it's that big of a need, um, especially because Chance did have a pretty solid Okay, year. But, but what happens if, if Jebby is not 100%? Does that change your mind at all? Maybe a little bit, but I, I still think that Gold Branson, you know, what we've seen from him in, in his limited action in, in camp, you know, in, in practice, I, I think that he's more than ready to be the number two guy at the very least. Um, so uh, again, you know, if, if you can bring a guy in who will absolutely be the starter day one, you know, that he is better than any quarterback you have on your roster, you do it. Um, but I, I just think that there's so much young talent, you know, coming in and, and already there, obviously losing Vidlack hurts a little bit, but with Goldbranson, with Throckmorton coming in, um, it's, it's not a huge need. I, I think there are definitely other positions that you would take a transfer first. You know, if you're, if you're going to use a scholarship, you know, put it on the D line, um, even, even offensive line. You know, you're, you're going to lose a couple of guys this offseason. Um, Nathan Eldridge is gone. Nuske Obunum is gone. Um, if you could bring in an, in, an instant impact transfer on the offensive line, I think that's something that you could do too. Um, I, I just think that there are other positions that you look before quarterback right now. So this month, January is going to be really important for the transfer portal as the Beavs kind of lead up now to the February signing day. Um, also a lot of walk-ons. So that's what we're going to see as far as visitors go, going to be the walk-on candidates um, and potentially a, a transfer portal guy here and there. But uh, we'll have all of that for you as they start bringing guys in. Um, we're actually in a quiet period now for at least through the, it goes through the championship game and then into that week. So another full week and a half before the um, recruiting window opens again. So it's, it's quiet, but let's, are way too early predictions okay for 2022 have you looked at the schedule that was released i have but but not in a while let me pull it up real quick so we can yeah let's so i can let's make just, a really bold prediction here yeah let's bold. I, I i i'm not going to put you on the spot and say win or loss i will ask you do the beavers win more games than they won this year i think so yeah i i, I think I mean, the, the natural, you know, progression in, in any rebuild is to win more games than you did in the year before. And um, winning seven games, obviously, there's there's five games room improvement there. And um, let's just, I guess, kind of go, go down the game. line the schedule yeah. here. Boise State. At home, the, Boise State. They they're open good, up. but that's, that's a very winnable game. Um, at Fresno State, you know, these are two very solid Mountain West teams. So I, going 2-0 to start the year is by no means a guarantee, especially since you're going to Fresno State. Jake Hayner will be back. Uh, they just brought in Jeff Tedford. 
but I think you know Oregon State should and and probably will get at least one of those. Going two and zero with with those two games would be uh, you know it'd, it'd be solid. And then you get Montana State in Portland, who's going to be in the FCS championship this week. So as far as you know, that's probably about as tough of a non-conference schedule as you could get without playing another Power Five team. Yeah. No, really. I mean, do you like that? Do you like that? Um, out of conference schedule because some would argue that they'd rather play a bigger name because there's really you're, you're either going to blow these guys out or if you don't blow them out or lose it looks bad it's very similar to playing utah state in the bowl game you know where yeah there's, these mountain west schools have nothing to lose but oregon state really has nothing to gain yeah um and, and when they are you know as solid of a team as a boise state or a fresno or a Utah State, you know, that just makes it even more dangerous. So I, I don't love it just from the perspective that I think you'd be better off scheduling one Power Five team, a low tier Mountain West team, and then an FCS opponent. Um, but again, you know, Oregon State should win all three of these games. So if they do, you start your season three and zero, and you're already halfway to bowl eligibility right there. Um, yeah. If if we look at conference play. USC at home, you'd obviously rather play them at home than on the road at Utah is going to be really tough Um, at Stanford is winnable versus Washington state winnable versus Colorado winnable at Washington to this point, still probably winnable Um, California. That's one that you should probably get at ASU Oregon state's kind of had Arizona state's number the last few years. Um, And then at home against Oregon, anything can happen in that game. So there are only a couple of games here where I say, you know, Oregon State doesn't really have much of a chance. At Utah, I think it's yeah. going to be really tough. Um, and then versus USC, obviously, you know, that's that's a tough matchup regardless of where you play them. Other than that, I think Oregon State could win just about any game on this schedule. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the schedule and you're like, okay, they lost to Cal. It's at home this, this next year. Colorado at home. Washington State at home. Um, and we, we know what Oregon State did at home this year. So you have Washington. I, I actually like the way that the, the – um, that part of the schedule, the conference schedule plays out. And then you have Oregon at home. I think, you know, Oregon state's kind of gotten the, uh, the short straws as far as Pac-12 scheduling has gone with the crossovers playing yeah. USC and, and Utah and ASU the last few years. Yeah. Um, but as, as far as this layout goes, you know, I think getting USC at home, um, that, that kind of, that softens the blow a little bit. Um, it, and no, <laughs> Hey, and no Thursday night games. Yeah, there is one Friday game Friday, that's Oregon, Oregon. On, on, on Black Friday. Yeah. Um, but as far as the crossover games go, you know, obviously Oregon State would love to play Arizona because that's as close to a sure win as you're going to get in the Pac-12 right now. Um, UCLA, you know, I, I think would be you'd rather play UCLA than USC. Um, but it's it's not as daunting of a schedule as it could be considering the, the, the cross-division matchups. I, I think that Oregon State has let's say nine wins on, on this schedule that are very attainable. Nine win season. How fun. I, that I think it's, yeah, I, I think it's within the realm of possibility. If, if the defense plays better next year than it did this year, there's no reason they can't win nine games. See, Carter, let's you be have honest. To they should have won nine games this year. You're going to have to stick around Beaver Blitz for another year because I mean, Hey, look at this. Things, things are on the up. I mean, can, so I just have to, this is more of an inside thing because Carter and I, you know, we're down at in Los Angeles covering the LA Bowl, um, and we we kind of talked about the the media room that was kind of a joke that nobody knew in the media hotel. So um, a, my colleague that covers Ohio State, he'd been tweeting from his time in in um, Pasadena. Uh, yeah, media hotel had a breakfast every morning. They had food for him every day. They got a police. Um, a police escort to the stadium on a bus they got a bus transportation to the stadium food they had a full-on hospitality suite sounds a little better than paying 10 bucks for a breakfast sandwich at starbucks and then ubering to yes sofi stadium and trying to get an uber to get you back after yeah we just had luke machado driving us too so that was my my 16 year old son drove us a couple times so hey it was still fun regardless of you know it being their first time through it and you know there being a few wrinkles along the way. Um, it, it was still a great experience. And I will say if Oregon state does win nine games next year, we're going to have a great time in Vegas or yes. San Diego, Al- or San, San Antonio. That's the one I'm hoping. Well, actually watching the Rose bowl 
I got goosebumps a couple of times thinking about, okay, Utah's uniforms, by the way, were that helmet with the rose through it. And it even had the 22 etched in it. I mean, that was fire. It was, I, but I, there, I won't lie. There was, when they did the flyover, the B, the B2 stealth bomber and they panned the stadium and it was like all red because both teams were red. I, I just had this vision of half the stadium in orange and the O with the rose through it. It gave me chills. Bring it on. Sometimes, sometime in our, in our lifetime. Hey, you know what? As, as if USC does get back to prominence, I think next year, 2022 is Oregon state's best shot at, at okay. making a Rose bowl. If we're being honest, because you know, you're already seeing Oregon's recruiting has dropped off because of the transfers and, and the decommits USC is eating into their, mm-hmm. in, into their recruiting already. Um, Washington is, is down, you know, Oregon State's probably competing with Oregon and who else in the North Washington state, maybe. So this is it. This know, is, there's, there's all a or path, nothing right now. There's a path in the North and in the South, it, if USC is not up to where we think they're going to get in year one of Lincoln Riley, you know, you're, you're probably competing with Utah and Oregon state beat Utah this year. So I'm not saying Oregon state's going to the Rose Bowl, but I'm just saying, <laughs> You know, before, if there's a year before to do USC it. really takes off, before Utah builds, you know, momentum from what they've done the last couple of years, um, this is probably the year to do it, to, to take advantage of the North being down a little bit and the South not quite at its peak okay. yet. Okay, you heard it. There's Carter's Bowl 2022 projections. Um, thanks for joining me on this uh, kind of impromptu with my boys. I didn't cough. I've, I've had a little cold the past couple of days. Not COVID. I've tested a couple of times. It's not. It's not a tumor. You probably haven't even seen that movie, Happy Carter. No. Kindergarten Cop. It's old. It's uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I, but I digress. Have a happy new year, Beaver Nation. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we'll be back again, probably closer to signing day, um, to talk a little bit about signing day um, and the Beavers. But uh, stick with Beaver Blitz for everything Oregon State as we go headfirst now into hoop season. And, you know, it's just around the corner. Baseball season. I think there's a lot of beavers excited. Have a great day. And uh, we'll be back next uh, in a couple weeks with another episode of The Damn Pod.